Before I begin our lesson tonight, I do want to announce something. We've got Shane and Emily with us tonight, and they're going to be leaving Thursday to fly to South Korea and begin a mission work there. And uh, I think it's appropriate that we remember them in our prayers. And, you know, as you think about those who go and do the Lord's work, and we often pray about those who are going into hard and difficult places, uh, I would say that trying to go speak the language in a country... Uh, that's Korean would be a hard and difficult place and it's going to have a, a challenge but I want you to pray for Shane and Emily as they begin their work there and as they begin to serve the Lord in that country and uh, every once in a while be sure to give him a message on Facebook and let him know that you're thinking about him. Tonight we're going to finish our series of lessons on the book of Jonah. Each week this month we have studied a different chapter Chapters 1 through 3, and now we're ready to study chapter 4. And we've studied something different about Jonah in each of the passages. We've looked at Jonah as he tried to run away from God, how he tried to shirk his responsibility. We look at Jonah as he was swallowed by a great fish, but not only swallowed by a great fish, but swallowed up with sin and the sorrow over that sin. Last week we looked at Jonah as he was speaking to the people of Nineveh and the response that those people had to the preaching of the gospel. And tonight we're going to look at Jonah as a stubborn man. And I want to begin by pointing out to you that the prophets were just plain, ordinary people with plain, ordinary feelings. Quite frequently, when I read the Bible, I read about an Abraham, and I read about an Apostle Paul, and I put them up on a pedestal, someone who was almost superhuman. But the Bible doesn't want us to put them there. The Bible wants us to respect them for their faith. But the Bible wants us to understand that all of these men and women who served God were like us. For instance, in James chapter 5, the first part of verse 17 says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He's a person who had difficulties in his life. He could be depressed. He could be discouraged. He could be happy. He could be sad. He could be angry. And you know, as I survey through the prophets of the Bible, I see that in them. For instance, some like Elijah were discouraged in 1 Kings chapter 18, he had had a great victory on the top of Mount Carmel when confronting the prophets of Baal and Jezebel's servants. But you see, she got up and said, I am not going to let that man live. And so in chapter 19 and verse 4, he went himself a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die. And he said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Here I am. I am discouraged. I've done what I can, and God, just go ahead and take me. I'm no better than anybody else. You drop down to verse 10. So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, kill your prophets with the sword, I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. 
discouraged, despondent because he wanted to serve God and nobody else did, at least in his eyes. Of course, God had to remind him there were still 7,000 people who had not bowed the knee to Baal. But you see, there's other prophets like Jeremiah who were really depressed. When someone gets depressed, they look around about them and they see that things are not what they're supposed to be. And they even shed tears. And in Jeremiah 9 and verse 1, Oh, that my head were a fountain of waters, and my, or my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. He could see the effect of sin on the people's lives. But you know, there were times when prophets could be angry as well. Sometimes we tend to think, you know, the preacher preached a blistering sermon, made everybody feel uncomfortable, made everybody feel like they're not doing enough. Well, listen to Nehemiah in chapter 13 and verse 25. So I contended with them and cursed them and struck some of them and pulled out their hair and made them swear by God, saying, You shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons, nor take their daughters for your sons or yourselves. I don't think I've seen any preachers lately pulling out hair. But the point is, is that these are people with passions just like us. They get angry. They get discouraged. They get upset. Well, then we're looking at Jonah. This man certainly had a personality. And not all of his personality traits were good. Sometimes Jonah could get angry over nothing. And he is angry here in chapter 4. And he has not changed his attitude toward the Ninevites since chapter 1, even though he has done what God told him to do. So here's what we're going to look at in the Jonah chapter 4. Verses 1 through 4, we're going to look at his grudge that he had. He still was nursing a grudge toward these people. Number two, we want to look at the gourd, and we'll talk about the gourd in just a moment, in verses 5 through 9. And then we want to end up with grace in verses 10 and 11. Let's go back and look at verses 1 through 4 again. I want to put some emphasis on some specific words as we read through this on this occasion. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was, I, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish. For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? Now, if you back up to chapter 3 and verse 10, you'll read that the people of Nineveh repented. And when the people of Nineveh repented, God relented from the harm that he said that he was going to bring on them. In other words, yet in 40 days, Nineveh is going to be overthrown. Nineveh repents. And so Nineveh is not going to be overthrown. God responded with forgiveness. 
But Jonah said, was this not what I said when I was still in my own country? He knew God was a merciful God and abundant in love and kindness. And he knew that if he preached the truth and the people listened, that God would forgive. So his idea in mind is, I would rather not preach. Because if I preach, they may repent. You know, when I start thinking about the anger that Jonah had, in chapter 86 and 5 of Psalms, David said, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive, abundant in mercy to all who call upon you. Jonah knew the nature of God. He knew that he's the kind of God that would forgive. He doesn't, God doesn't hold grudges. Aren't we thankful of that? You know, when you look at the way we act sometimes, if God were to hold grudges, none of us would ever be able to survive. But Jonah was much like the elder brother of Luke chapter 15. You'll remember the prodigal son came home. He came home humbly. He came home with a desire to just be made as one of the hired servants. He wasn't asking for one thing that belonged to his brother. And what do you see in verse 28? But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. It's almost as if God is pleading with Jonah do away with your anger. Love these people. I'd like for you to think what happened in the first century. When Jews were going out and preaching the gospel for the first time to Gentiles. It's hard for us to imagine the kind of animosity that existed between Jew and Gentile. In Acts chapter 13 verse 46, Paul is at Antioch of Pisidia. And he says, but when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy, contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. You see, the Jews had already said the previous Sabbath day, we want you to come back. We want to hear more about this. But when there were multitudes that included Gentiles, oh, no, 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 we, we want to be the only ones to whom you give this. But I notice the question God asked Jonah here. Is it right for you to be angry? See, God challenges man on unjustified anger. You remember this morning when we were reading about the retaliation? And you remember when Jesus said in the context that he who is angry with his brother without a cause? Is there a justification for the anger of Jonah here? Does he have the right to be angry? Go back to Genesis 4 and verse 6. You remember Cain and Abel? And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? Why are you so upset, Cain? If you do well, will you not be accepted? But if not, sin lies at your door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. 
Cain, why are you angry? Jonah, why are you angry? Angry, being angry, usually brings out the worst in us. I know it does in me, and I'm assuming it does in just about everybody else. Psalm 106, 32. They angered him also at the waters of strife. So it went ill with Moses on account of them. Do you remember how the children of Israel were griping, complaining, moaning about everything? And Moses goes to God and God says to him, I want you to speak to the rock. Evidently, the anger of Moses as well as the anger of God, Moses evidently lost his temper because he struck the rock and calls them rebels. And it went ill with Moses because of that. We don't need to be the kind of people who lose our temper and become angry. In James 1, verses 19 and 20, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. And then a passage we used in our lesson this morning, Leviticus 19 and verse 18, You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbors yourself. I am the Lord. What we read here is, is that the grudge that Jonah was carrying with him was wrong. Now let's move to verses 5 through 9. Let's talk about the gourd for just a moment. So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm so that it damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that Jonah, or that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, It is better for me to die than to live. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, It is right for me to be angry even to death. Now for just a moment, Jonah goes out of the city. He's done his job. He's preached the gospel. Good news. And they've repented. And the people have been spared. And so he goes and he sits on the east side of the city. He's watching the city. He's going to see what's happened. You might say, well, they've repented. Why doesn't he go on home? Jonah knows that the people of God have been so fickle that they would repent one day and turn around the next day and go back to living in their sin. Perhaps he thought that's what the people of Nineveh were going to do. That they would say they were repenting, they would sit in sackcloth and ashes, and next thing you know, the next day they're right back in their sin all over again. I could give you several examples of that. 
But I think the way Hosea puts it in Hosea 6 and verse 4, he says, O Ephraim, what shall I do to you? O Judah, what shall I do to you? For your faithfulness is like the morning cloud, and like early dew it goes away. You really just don't have the commitment. You don't have the dedication. You don't have the perseverance. I can read about that all through the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. He said that when you start looking at day by day, he said uh, we need to exhort one another day by day as long as it's called today, lest you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Take heed lest there be in any one of you an evil heart of unbelief and falling from the living God. So perhaps he thinks they're going to stumble, they're going to go back and relapse into their sin. So Jonah, we're told, prepared a shelter. The original word here is the same word for tabernacle. It's a booth. It's some sort of covering. But he needed something better to provide him some shade from his misery. You know, man sometimes in our desire doesn't always prepare the best thing for ourselves and Jonah must have made something evidently thrown together. and It wasn't giving him the relief. And so God prepared a plant for him. Now I know that if you're reading an older translation, you see the word gourd there. But the Hebrew word kaikeon means the same thing as a castor oil plant. I'm talking about the kind of castor oil that your grandmother, your great-grandmother used to give you. That's where it comes from. This plant has a number of different uses, but it was a very common plant in the Bible lands. And someone says, well, if it's that kind of plant, why does the older translations call it a gourd? Many of the older translations follow the Latin Vulgate. And there was a big debate with Augustine, who kept trying to remind Erasmus, you know, how do you know what these plants are? And you need to be careful when you translate it into Latin that you don't leave a wrong impression of another kind of plant. And this was one of the passages about which they debated. If you want to see what a plant looks like, that's what one looks like. It has broad leaves, and it could easily shade the head of Jonah to keep him out of his misery. But you know, the Lord also prepared a worm and an east wind to discipline the prophet Jonah. He needed to teach Jonah a lesson, and he did do that. God had to teach him to obey earlier when he prepared the great fish. God was having to teach him how to have the right kind of attitude. Or if you want to put it in the way some of us would say it today, he needed an attitude adjustment and God provided it for him. He told him this is the way you're going to have to live. Jonah was very grateful for the plant. If you had this beaming sun beaming down on you and you could find a place for a shade, I can assure you you would love it. I remember just a few years ago we were at Ephesus and we were walking down the street and it was about 100 degrees and it was so hot we stood in the shade of a wall just to be able to have some relief from the sun. Jonah was thankful for the plant. 
But when the plant was destroyed, he became angry to the point of death because of the destruction of that plant. He became so angry, he said, God, just go ahead and take my life. It's better for me to die than to live. And God asked Jonah the second time, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? And Jonah did something that I think most of us would look back and shudder after he did it. He talked back to God. He said, yes, it is right for me to be angry, even to the point of death. There are four things that God prepared in the book of Jonah. The first one, chapter 1, verse 17, is the great fish. Chapter 4, verse 6, God prepared the plant. Chapter 4, verse 7, he prepared the worm. And chapter 4, verse 8, he prepared that vehement east wind, a hot east wind. And what that resulted in, the preparation of the prophet. God can take someone and shape them and use them and they become beneficial. And that's what he's doing with Jonah. Everything else prepared has been to prepare Jonah for the work God has for him to do. Now if you'll notice with me verses 10 and 11 as we draw this to a close. But the Lord said, You have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and much livestock. Here's the problem. Jonah was only looking at things from his own perspective. It never dawned on him to look at things the way God looked at them. And God wants Jonah to start thinking like him. That's a real problem for all of us, isn't it? When God wants us to think like he thinks and appreciate the things he appreciates, Jonah was only looking at things from his point of view, particularly with regards to how the people of Nineveh would affect him. Assyria was the great enemy in the time of Jonah. We've got to get rid of this people. If we don't get rid of them, they're going to come back and they're going to conquer us at some point in the future. Jonah doesn't want these people saved. Jonah only wants what makes him feel comfortable. Listen to Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You mean God has a better perspective to see life? God has a better perspective on how we ought to do things? Yes. How dare we look at God and say, God, you need to do it this way. It's just like in 1 Kings chapter 16 and verse 7, as Samuel is trying to locate 
the son of Jesse, who's going to be the next king over Judah. And he's going one by one, and he says, Do not look at his appearance or his physical stature, because I refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. All right, now there's a real key teaching. God could look down into the hearts of those people at Nineveh, and he knew they had repented. He knew they had changed. And God could also look in the heart of Jonah and see where Jonah's problem was. God's view was one of love and grace. God loves everybody. That's hard for some people to grasp. John 3 and verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5, But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. What a powerful statement about him. For just a moment, let me just mention a couple of observations or so. We need to check our attitudes, especially toward our enemies or enemy nations. I thought a lot this weekend about the kind of harsh feelings that exist between people in Ferguson, Missouri, between white folks and black folks. And some people have such a hatred they want the other side dead. I think about what is occurring in the Middle East, particularly in the country of Iraq with a group called ISIS. Some people have in their mind the way to resolve this problem is for us to drop one big bomb, blow them all up, and we'll be done with them. The right thing to do is teach them the gospel so that they won't hate us, but be our brethren. One needs to watch his temper. When I am angry, why am I angry? God asked Jonah that twice. Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? When I get angry, is it right? Is it because I didn't get my way? Is it because I'm not comfortable and I want everybody else to make me comfortable and do things the way I want them done and I want my way all the time? No. One needs to make sure he does not elevate physical things above souls. Jonah cared a lot more about that plant than he cared about the people. Sometimes we care more about the cars that are parked in the parking lot than we do the people who come in those cars. And brethren, when we do, we're wrong just as much as Jonah was. One last observation. God even thinks about the value of animals, last words, and much livestock. God saw a value in everything in his creation. And I think we should as well. The book of Jonah is a success. And you say, a real success? Well, Jonah was saved from himself. 
A man who had a bad attitude, who had bad actions. Jonah was saved. The Ninevites were saved from their sin because they repented. And essentially everyone needs to be saved and God has made provision for everyone, but it's ultimately a matter of choice. You and I choose whether or not we want to be what God would have us to be. If you'll take your songbook now, we're going to sing this song of encouragement. For those who have not yet become Christians, it is our sincere heart's desire and pleading with you that you might respond to the gospel by being baptized for the remission of your sins. For those of you who may be carrying around sin with you, like Jonah was, it's time for you to unload that sin. It's time for you to confess it to God and be restored to faithfulness. Would you come while we stand and sing?